need your help this morning for what you want to say. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word is for us today. Um, I want to start by telling you guys a story. This is a true story. I didn't write this. I actually heard it uh, from a different church, and I loved it, so I'm just going to read it to you. Um, but this is a, a story about our history in the Lord. And it says, there was once a community of believers that decided they would live their lives radically devoted to God. 95% devotion wasn't enough. They determined to submit fully and follow God in every way. They agreed to love one another irrationally, meet each other's needs, making sure no brother or sister lived without. They took off their masks so they could know and be known. Passionately concerned about those outside of the family of God, they reached out to the lost people around them regardless of the consequences. They prayed fervently that they would have the boldness to preach the gospel even if it cost them their lives. This group became so well known for the way they loved and lived. They lived such an attractive life, people from the poor to the rugged working class to the unbelievably wealthy would leave everything to follow their Jesus. Healings, signs, and wonders became a way of life, and everyone was struck with awe at what God was doing in their midst. Stories of the miracles filled the city, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem by everyone. Witches and warlocks wanted to buy the power of God because it was so visible. And with the spirit in charge, they worshiped God continually and honored him by using their spiritual gifts. Everyone played a critical role and everyone was important. And without a building or a budget or political power, 12 men who had been with Jesus continued his movement and spread the gospel throughout the known world in one generation. The reports from unbelievers was that these men had turned the world upside down. It's powerful, isn't it? I love that. I think it's such a beautiful paraphrase of Acts 2 if you're not familiar with, with that. And when I hear that and when I read that, I get a taste for what I think God is doing in our midst in this season. When we began the What Is Church series, I knew it was one of those series that was going to change us forever. And, uh, and, and I don't take that lightly, right? I think in church culture, we can hype things and say, this is going to be the best message you've ever heard. Or, you know, this, you're going to just be like, ah, in heaven at the end of whatever. And, and, and it wasn't like that. It was this sober feeling of, God, if we go down this road, we're not going back. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who have, quote, deconstructed their faith in the last five or ten years. I'm sure you do, too. People who've poked holes at the system but I've ended up neglecting the gathering of the believers as a result. And my fear, my, my hesitation, my, my caution in the What is Church series is not that we would get to a place where we are angry with the body, but that we begin to see the potential in the body. And when we see the potential in the body, then we're willing to invest in the body, we're willing to connect to the body, and we're willing to see her flourish, amen? And so our hope as we've been going through this process the last several months, our hope is that we don't end feeling like there's no value in the gathering of the believers, but we land knowing that the, the not be neglected if we want to be like Jesus. I saw a phrase on Facebook a couple weeks ago that I haven't been able to shake, and this person said it like this. They said, um, sort of paraphrasing, but she said, you know, Christians have become more consumed with churchianity than with Jesus. 
took my breath away for a second. That phrase, churchianity, I'm like, I didn't coin that, but I wish I had. How much of our understanding about God is really churchianity? How much of when we wake up in the morning and we feel like God is approving of us or disapproving of us is rooted in our understanding of a structure, not of a entity, not of who God is? Grant and I have been talking about this phrase, churchianity. I was joking with him that I kind of want to re- redo our, our tagline for Bethel OKC instead of bringing heaven's ways to earth, rejecting churchianity, you know, and I'm not going to do that. It's a, little, it's a little edgy, probably too edgy, but, but I think in our heart, that's where we're at, right? I think most of us are going, look, I don't want to serve a system that's man-made. I want to serve a God who is a person of sorts. <laughs> oh, help us, Lord. When we even look at where the name Christians come from, what really Christian, the term Christian was, was the phrase that meant little Christ, and it was actually a mocking term by the people. They would look at those that were following Jesus because they actually wanted to be like Jesus. And so they would jokingly call them little Christ, like, oh, they just want to be like Jesus. And here we are all these thousands of years later, and Christians is a, a, a phrase like, like European or Syrian or you know, African or Middle Eastern. It's like, it's like this moral code. Oh, well, if you're a Christian, then you must be against this or that. Oh, if you're a Christian, then you must think this. When ultimately, Christian, the actual term was those who were willing to be just like Jesus. It's sort of ironic how, it, how it's become what it is, right? So when I read this little story I shared with you guys, when I hear it, when I think about it, I, I come to this conclusion that we cannot assume that our 15 minutes of high fives and and cordial greetings and catching up before or after church on a Sunday actually replaces biblical fellowship. Is it okay for me to say that? I don't think we can conclude that when we have surface level, how was your week? Yeah, it was good, and I'm not telling you what really happened in my week that hurt my heart and I need some healing from because there's just not enough time, and what if I cry, and what if you tell somebody, and all of that... I'm not saying that because I know that we can kind of keep it on the surface and then I can go mingle with someone else and then I can check the box thinking I did fellowship when I'm not actually really known. I think the first church would look at the type of Christian relationships that we have these days with eyes wide open and honestly I think they would say you can't be a believer then. If we are a believer, we are a follower of Jesus. If we're not willing to be led by him into the things of him, are we actually following? That's the question, right? I don't know. I know I've shared this with you guys before, but there's over 50 different one another's in the Bible. Loving one another, serving one another, carrying one another's burdens. There's a whole bunch of them. And what we like to pretend that we don't know is these are actually commands, not suggestions. Hey, it'd be great. You'd have a good church culture if you loved each other, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Nope, not the way it works. You'd have a great church culture if you knew one another, but if you don't, it's fine. (sighs) It's not the way it works. I know these are kind of hard facts. I got another hard fact for you. This is going to come as no surprise, hopefully, to you, but Jesus is actually going to come back. We know this, right? He didn't just go into heaven and he's like, oh, Lord, I'm going to sleep until, you know, my alarm goes off and it's time. No, he's coming back, and he's actively working for his return now, right? This is, there's things in motion, but when he comes back and we all stand before God, this is where it gets hard to process, 
we are each individually responsible for how we live our lives. When I stand before Jesus, I don't get to blame anyone or anything. I don't get to say, Lord, I would have been a better wife if you'd given me a different husband. I don't get to say, Lord, I, I, would, have been, I would have been able to honor my father and mother if, if they were just not crazy people. Lord, I would have been able to give to the poor if you'd given more to me. God, I, I would have, you, you see what I'm saying? And this is what we do in our life, right? We do this currently right now. We make these excuses, and then we avoid actually thinking about them. And what's going to happen is you're going to stand before Jesus, and just the very essence of his nature is going to expose everything inside of you. And I think that the church is designed to be a precursor to that moment. We're designed, the church is designed to make you uncomfortable, get a little bit of exposure to get you ready for the big exposure. It's not something we should be afraid of, guys. If we're letting the Holy Spirit lead us and we're being willing to follow him, he will take care of making sure you have a great moment when that happens. All you have to do is say yes, right? So I'm just kind of wondering, when we get to heaven and we stand before God, Lord, I, I, are we going to be saying, Lord, I, I would have loved people better if you'd let me go to a different church. I would, have, I would have been able to serve one another better if I didn't have to serve those people. The extroverts in the room are like, God, I would have laid my life down if there weren't just so many introverts to lay my life down for. And the introverts on the other side are saying, God, I would have laid my life down if I liked being with people. It's true, right? If we're really honest, we come up with these excuses, and then we tell ourselves, oh, well, I prayed for somebody at church this morning. I'm good until next week, right? I'm poking holes because I think it's really important. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read uh, one of those stories <laughs> that's a little painful to read. Matthew 25, let's do the amplified version. Uh, this is going to be verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. Jesus tells this story, and it's a little bit of a haunting story if you, if you take it seriously. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 25, 14, Amplified. He says, For it is just like a man who was about to take a journey, and he called his servants together and entrusted them with his possessions. He entrusted them with his possessions. As we continue to read the story, I want you to think about the giftings, the passions, the drive of your life, something that God has entrusted you with, a part of himself that he's put inside of you, okay? Verse 15, to one he gave five talents. Now in this situation, it's actually talking about finances, but we can um, apply it in a couple different areas. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. To another one, each according to his own ability. And then he went on his journey. The one who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made a profit, and he gained five more. Likewise, the one who had two made a profit and gained two more. But the one who had received the one went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came and brought him five more, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have made a profit and gained five more talents. 
His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. Verse 22, also the one who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you entrusted me two talents to me. See, I've made a profit and gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. The one who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a harsh and demanding man, reaping the harvest where you didn't sow and gather where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid to lose the talent, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is your own. But his master answered him, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap the harvest where I did not sow and gather seed where I didn't scatter seed. Then you ought to have put my money with the bankers, and at my return, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Verse 29, for to everyone who has and values his blessings and gifts from God and has used them wisely, more will be given. And he will be richly supplied so that he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, because he has ignored or disregarded his blessings and gifts from God, even what he does have will be taken away and throw out the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place of grief and torment, there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. This isn't just a financial principle parable. What I believe that the Lord wants us to see in this today is that what God has given to you, who you are, your personality, your giftings, your gifts of the Holy Spirit, is a part of him at work in you. And what he's asking is that you invest yourself as though you are investing him. Let's say it a different way, that you steward him as though you are stewarding yourself. Does this make sense? That we are one with God. And so when I begin to say, look, I know, God, you're in me, but I also think that you're a little too judgmental. I also think I wouldn't do it like that. And so we don't do anything with what he's given. Then we end up actually not getting to share in his joy. You guys tracking with me? So the expectation of God is that you will let him lead you. The expectation of God is that you will actually do something with what you've been given, that you will serve his people, you will connect with his people. It doesn't have to look the same from one to another. There's no indication of how these two good servants invested the money. It's not even about that. It's about them choosing to steward what they have been given as though it was their very self. To me, this is such a profound different way of thinking what if we stewarded our faith as though it was God in himself that we were stewarding what if we stewarded our life what if we stewarded our time what if we stewarded our giftings as though it was God himself that we were using in that moment does this make sense I think what God is saying he's challenging us to to raise the bar to continually raise the bar on our life a couple of weeks ago in our, our kids' class, um, they did an awesome equipping for the kids where they, they challenged them to consider whether they were seekers or whether they were followers. And I thought this was a really interesting. There was no, no shame on what you choose, but the, the lesson was about embracing where you really are at with God. If you're following him, then there's commands and there's challenges and there's things that are connected to that. But if you're still seeking and you're still trying to figure it out, then you're on a different path with the Lord. Does this make sense? And I, before we get into the rest of this, I really want to challenge you guys to make sure you know that about yourself. 
Are you really following the Lord or are you seeking God? Both are okay. Both are good, right? Eventually, we want everybody following the Lord. But if that's not where you are today, that's okay. Don't put yourself under this heavy burden that God has not put on you. Because his burden is not actually heavy, but you have to have him inside of you leading you to carry it. Otherwise, it does feel heavy. Does this make sense? Okay, I'm going to pull this all together in a minute. Um, Recently, I've been really meditating on the concept of tunnel vision. Anybody familiar with tunnel vision? So uh, I, I'll share with you guys, I've been dealing with some health things in my life the last, this last year, really since I had COVID in December, and uh, I've been trying to figure out what was going on, and I had something happen to me uh, right around New Year's Eve where I um, had this whole, I don't know, it was like a heart rate thing, and I thought I was going to black out, and it was just a whole episode of like, something is really wrong. And from then on, I've had it a couple more times, and, and when it happened, my heart was beating in a really abnormal way, and uh, you know, there's a lot of different symptoms that made me think, oh, it's my heart. Now, you guys need to know if you don't know, my dad is a retired doctor, my mom is a retired nurse, my sister-in-law is in medical school. Like, literally, we are a science family. It is the core of who we are. And uh, we are regularly talking about biology. I mean, we are just that kind of weirdos. And so, um, so in all my conversations with my family, we kept thinking, yeah, it's got to be something wrong with your heart. So I had an echocardiogram done, which is an ultrasound on your heart. Everything looked normal. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I went to a cardiologist a week or two ago. And before we went, Grant and I had prayed, and we just said, God, we're asking, we'd been praying, but we said, God, we're asking for divine wisdom over this doctor. We're asking that he would have, like, a word of knowledge or something, that you would just create an atmosphere around him that would reveal what's going on because I, want, I need to be out of this, whatever is going on. Long story short, as we're talking and going over the medical history and whatnot, the doctor says, I think it's actually this. And I don't think it's about your heart. I think it's, it's, you've had this happen. And when he said that, it was like a light bulb went off in my spirit. My dad, my mother, my sister-in-law, my brother, my husband, myself, none of us even considered for a moment that it would be this other thing. And I was bothered by that. I walked away thanking God for wisdom, thanking God for easy solutions, thanking God it wasn't that big of a deal. But at the same time, I'm going, why could I not see that? I was talking to my sister-in-law about it, and I said, I just can't believe that none of us for a second considered it would have been essentially what they think is I've had another couple pulmonary embolisms. And if you don't know my history, I've almost died from some a couple years ago, uh, and God intervened, and I'm so thankful for that. And this was a different kind, but they think that's what it was. It's more about my lungs than it was my heart. And um, when that happened, I'm going, oh, that makes so much sense, right? So anyways, I'm talking to my sister-in-law, and this is what she said, and there's a huge spiritual parallel here I want us to understand. She said, you know, she's in medical school. She said, we had a lecture recently from a physician who was saying that um, one of the most, Im- most detrimental things a physician can do is have tunnel vision. When you look at symptoms and you just think you know what the diagnosis is, and so you just are constantly trying to prove it's got to be this, Right? If you've had a not-so-great medical experience in your life with a physician, that's probably what happened, that they came into the room thinking, I know it's this. And once you know something, once you think something, your brain physically cannot be open to other ideas. And she said it was interesting because this, the, what they were telling us as up-and-coming physicians was that when you walk into a patient exam room, you need to have five different ideas of what the diagnosis could be so that when you begin to engage with the patient, your mind is open enough to find the real solution. I know that's a science thing, but I was listening to her explain this to me, just feeling like it was the Holy Spirit 
How many times in our life with God do we get into tunnel vision of what we think he's saying? And we cannot even hear what he's actually saying. We're so hyper-focused that even when we go to read the word, the word begins to support what we think we know instead of the word telling us the truth. Does this make sense? And it can happen to anyone. This is not, I mean, I don't think we're ever exempt from tunnel vision. It's a conscious thought that when we approach the Lord, we approach with open hands. God, nothing is off the table. You are free to lead me however you want to lead me, even if I don't want to hear it. And I will continually choose to open my mind to your leading of the Holy Spirit instead of trying to support what I think I should do with my life. Does this make sense? I'm going to pull all this together in a minute. So I, w- I want to just briefly review what we talked about in the What is Church series, which is that basically there were three types of gatherings that the New Testament did, and we can break those down into two different types. We can, we can go even further and say there was like temple gatherings and there was house gatherings, right? The corporate gatherings like this where they were all there, they were in, being interacted with, and they were learning and receiving, and then house gatherings that took on a lot of different flavors, and you and I, but you know, our personal conviction is that uh, the, the, the temple gatherings have been way overemphasized. And the onus of you owning your faith and letting the Holy Spirit lead you has been way underemphasized. What does this mean? Well, essentially, I think you need to understand you are the driver of your walk with God. Just look at your neighbor and say, I'm in the driver's seat. So when you are driving and you let the Holy Spirit lead you, There's no room for the other excuses, right? I think what we've done in America with church programs, things like Next Steps, things like Discipleship Tracks, I'm not dogging them. They have a place. They're good. But what we've done is said, you've come to Jesus, and now let me take you from point A to point B. You also need to know this. Now you need to get involved in this, and now you need to do this. And we've not allowed the human being to have a living God lead them into what they need to do. Because there's fear that you might not make it to maturity. So let me just give you what I think will work. And it might work for 60% of everybody. But it actually usurps the Holy Spirit's place to be our leader. This should not be a controversial statement. So I hope it's not. But in my opinion, the Holy Spirit is very confident in his ability to lead you into the greater likeness of Christ. He doesn't need my help to make you a mature believer. He doesn't need Grant's help. There is not a pastor on this earth. There is not an apostle on this earth. There is not a miracle worker on this earth that he needs to help you. He will use them. Thank you, Lord. I'd be out of a job. And he does use them, right? This is why we can't neglect the gathering of the believers because he's never going to put all of his eggs in one basket. It's just not how he is. But you also have to understand, he believes in his ability to grow you. He believes it. For the underground church in China, he believes in his ability to impact them right where they are. To, to every, to, (laughs) yeah, I'll stop myself. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. And for that matter, he created you. So he knows you better than you know yourself. And my challenge to you is that we need to trust his leadership. We need to trust it. Amen? I think what we've done 
with the American church system is we've created a, a, a system where the believer is dependent on being spoon-fed. The believer is a baby in a high chair, twiddling his feet, banging on the little t- tray, waiting for mom to bring some milk. And when the baby becomes a toddler, if they're a crawler like my kids were, they get out of that high chair and they go get what they want. But the American church, we don't do that because we're spanked when you do that. <laughs> Think about it. You try to go follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and now your pastor's mad at you. What did you do? You went to that conference? Did you know that there's something on the internet that says something bad about them? You're like, well, while I was there, I had a knockout experience with the Holy Spirit, and I am a new creation. Well, I don't know how that could happen because we don't like their brand. <laughs> Too personal? So if I'm, if I'm the leader in this analogy, and I come around and I give you each, today we're having peas, guys. Open your little foil thing and eat the peas. Or for you organic moms, I blended them up for you. I grew them in my garden. They're pesticide-free. They're, they're, you know, a little chunky here and there, but you'll be fine. And, uh, and I feed them to you, and then tomorrow I'll choose that you need carrots. And the baby just goes, I'm waiting. But Paul had very hard things to say about the babies, right? We love babies. You know that. But the babies cannot enjoy the fullness of God. They can't enjoy the fullness of life, and they cannot enjoy the fullness of God. And what do we have to do? We have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit lead us. So what does all this mean? Well, here's where we're headed with this. It's my firm belief that God is asking us to make space in our lives for him to lead us in a greater way. In December, uh, really around, yeah, it's been a while, November, December, when God began to put the, the What is Church series on our hearts, I, I just had this feeling like God was going to lead us to do something unorthodox and out of the box. And, um, and, I, I, and he is. And about a month ago, I felt like the Lord just began to really challenge me and talking through with our team and just really feeling like God was saying, it's time, the time is now. And so what we're going to do is, and our big news and all of that is, we're actually adjusting our structure to make space for the Lord to do what he wants to do. And what that looks like is starting in May, starting next month, we're only going to gather on Sunday mornings twice a month. And let me explain why. I don't want you guys guessing, so I'm giving you the news and then I'll explain why. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons behind this. What it's going to look like is on the second and fourth Sundays from May through August, that's when we will have church like this. And the rest of the time, we'll gather in our house church times together, and I'm expecting an even greater increase in the Holy Spirit and what's been happening. Guys, what's been happening is pretty awesome. We're seeing significant healings. We're seeing great equippings happening. We're seeing good friendships formed. We're seeing breakthroughs. It's been incredible. I don't think you're going to be lacking in anything personally if you choose to commit to a house church. But as we went down this process and really began to weigh this before the Lord, we really felt like God was asking us to make space to be led by his spirit and to make space for you guys to be led by his spirit as well. So what do you do with your extra two Sundays a month? Well, that's up to you and the Holy Spirit. If you need to sleep in, nobody's going to judge you. I would just really encourage you, don't look at it as wasted time. Look at it as time where you can let God lead you and do something. I know uh, we've been talking about this with different, uh, um, like our house church leaders and our, our leadership team and stuff, and some people have had ideas like, well, maybe I'll go serve, maybe I'll go serve the poor and the homeless. 
Maybe I'll spend time doing this, equipping my family in this way. Maybe I'll do, you know, different things. It's like you guys are free to do what you feel like the Lord wants you to do. Maybe you take that extra two Sundays a month and you reach out to your neighbors and you have a little brunch where you just get to know them. Maybe you spend time. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't necessarily need to know, but I think we need to draw a line in the sand to say, God, it is time for us to grow legs and walk ourselves to the fridge. I don't know what you're going to get out of the fridge, but it's fully stocked. That's how I feel. So I know there's a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of questions. I know some of you guys have a question of like, well, for kids, okay, so I want my kids in church every Sunday, so what do I do? Well, I think you need to really ask the Lord to lead you. He wants your kids to be healthy and whole and mature believers more than you do. So ask him, engage with him, talk with your spouse. What do we do with our kids in this time? And you're free to do what you feel like as a parent you need to do. Uh, I know some might be saying, well, what do I do if I'm not getting good Bible teaching? Well, I know that um, we have, I think, like several hundred episodes of our podcast on the Bethel page, and that's not to mention a plethora of teachings coming out every single Sunday at your fingertips of all your favorite preachers who are significantly better than we are in terms of oratorial abilities, etc. And so I I trust, I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. I trust that. I think that it works best if we commit to being in relationship with one another, but we actually commit to that, right? That we don't just say, hey, high five, good to see you. We go to church together, but we don't actually, you know nothing about me. The truth is that we're not making this change just so that everybody can sleep in more. That's going to be the real test, right? And I feel it. I feel it too. We live really busy lives in the week, and, and the weekend is precious. But that's not necessarily why we're doing this. I, I really just want to remind you, there's no parking in the kingdom of God. So we're either moving forward or we're moving backwards, and we just don't realize it. There's no parking. So again, I don't know how the Holy Spirit will lead you, but I think he will. If you get to a place where you're going, I don't feel the Lord saying anything, come reach out to us. We'd love to help pray that through with you. And, and give you some ideas of what to do with that time. But ultimately, I trust his leadership in your life, and I'm asking you to do that as well, okay? So I have one other thing I want to share, and, and then um, I'll be available. Grant will be available up here to answer any questions you guys have personally. Your house church leaders also are ready for your questions, feedbacks, and talking behind my back, which I hope you don't do, but uh, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Lord bless them and me. Um. I want to share one other kind of detail in this process as well. So a couple of months ago, uh, I was just spending time with the Lord, and I felt like God really challenged me to consider our family doing a bit of a sabbatical this year. And uh, I was like, well, that's not going to work, Lord. I don't know if you know how our system operates, but it's not really possible. And I shared it with Grant. He's like, man, I don't know how he would do that. I said, I don't either, but I just felt like he said this. And then in the next week or so, Two of our mentors that are kind of like our oversight people had brought it up to us as well. Like, hey, I think this is the right time for you guys to take a sabbatical. And so this summer, we're going to be doing a bit of a sabbatical. It's not like a a big deal. Honestly, there's nothing really wrong in our life. It's not like because we're in sin or we're burnout or anything like that. So just know that. Uh, If you got a good rumor to make up, you can ask me first. I'm happy to tell you. Um, It's really not a bad thing. Honestly, we've been, the church is going to turn seven in August, and uh, Grant and I personally have been on this journey for about eight years now, and without a time to just kind of 
uh, rest in the Lord. And so it's more about that. Really what we do is, what we're doing is we really feel like he's calling us to be led in some different ways than before, and we're trying to make space in our own life to hear that as well. So that's what it looks like. I, I fully intend on coming out of that, guns blazing, ready to set the world on fire. That's the, the goal. Um, so I wanted to let you guys know that I think practically we don't know all the details yet, but it's probably going to look like a, like a six-week type thing. So for some of that, we'll probably be not available, but for the rest of it, we will be here. We'll be here on, when we're gathering on Sundays when possible. We'll be at different house church times. It's not like you can't talk to us if you have a need or anything like that, but I wanted to kind of go ahead and mention that. So as God was leading us in all these different ways, I thought, well, this is interesting. Going to two Sundays a month kind of makes space for that and for our worship teams and our kids' teams and all of that to get to have a summer to really invest in their personal life with Jesus. So that's what we're doing. Um, a couple of details on, uh, so we'll start this in May. That means the first Sunday of May, we will not be having Sunday service. The second Sunday of May is Mother's Day, and we'll be doing our normal women's party day. We love celebrating women on that day. We've got a lot of fun things planned for that. Um, and then ultimately, if you're a confused person about second and fourth, that kind of schedule, uh, tell Cody, and she can make you a detailed list of what those dates actually are. On our website and on our Facebook page, it'll be updated weekly, so you'll be able to see, you know, are we having, I forgot, is this, is this week a church gathering, or is this week an off week, and you'll be able to see that there. Um, let's see if I forgot anything else. Am I missing anything? Okay, Grant wants to add something. Good job, babe. <laughs> um... All right, I think the, the biggest thing that I want to add in here is <clears throat> this is, we take this, like, very seriously, and it also has been very, like, scary. Like, <laughs> I've told a couple groups now, like, Lord, what are you doing <laughs> and why? Like, are you trying to kill this or, like, are you growing this? What are you doing? And it's been one of those, like, faith walks. Like, this is clear word of the Lord, does it fully make any sense? No. But what I do know is I feel like the emphasis on Sunday morning, like for people to think that showing up every single week and you're fulfilling what the Bible says church is, it is wrong. <laughs> like that is not the truth. That's not what the Bible is. And we've been brainwashed in a sense. Mm -hmm. And that churchianity word, I love that word because it's like, yes, like I'm not a churchian. <laughs> I'm a believer in Jesus, who so I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And checking off the box on a Sunday morning, I feel like uh, sometimes can hurt a little bit more than help. And as you know, we've been pushing and pushing and pushing, like, come on, everybody participate. Know people, be a part of these house churches, and press deep in your own faith. And so the closer we've been getting to this point, it, the more clear it feels like, Okay, weekly service, as crazy as it sounds, is not what the Lord is saying for us in this next season. Will he do it again? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but in this next season, it's definitely not. It's like I feel it just as clear as day. It is not what God is saying. And we're hoping and believing that it really catapults everybody forward in a fresh and a new um, walk with the Lord. We really feel like he's saying it's a time of a new wine, a new wine skin. And he's doing a fresh thing. Um, as we talk to other pastors, we're like, hey, we're insane. Tell us we're wrong. You know, they're like, no, God is doing this across the nation, across the world. This is a thing that's happening. And so um, 
I don't know. That's, that's where I personally feel with it all, but I'm excited because I do feel like the Lord is very clearly in it. And um, yeah, I'm excited to, to do it with you guys. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I did forget to say we're doing this from May to August as an experiment. And I have no idea what it will look like after August. So you can be praying. Please be praying. Pray for wisdom. If you feel like you get a word from the Lord, look, God does not just speak to Grant and I. He speaks to us as a community. So if you feel like you get direction from the Lord, please don't hesitate to send it, even if you're like, this could be totally wrong. Everybody that has sent me prophetic words before can tell you I'm very kind when you give them. So you don't have to be afraid of that. Um, But so we're going to do it May through August, and we will be evaluating kind of as we go, and we're going to see from the Lord, do we continue that on, or do we go back to weekly, or what does that look like? We don't know, but we know he's going to tell us when it's time, so yeah, so I want to end by just praying, uh, and praying a blessing over this next step in our journey. Um, Ultimately, I think our conviction has always been, Jesus, this is your church, And our expectation of Jesus has been that he would lead us as if there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we have chosen to not move forward until we feel so clear that God is saying something. So just know this is not a flippant thing. This is not a we want more time to sleep in, so we're doing this. This is a months-long process that we've vetted through a whole bunch of different sources to really feel like this is what God is saying. And also, you know, we're the kind of people who have the courage to say, God is not moving in this way like we wish he was. Doesn't mean Sunday mornings are not amazing. They are, right? I mean, you come, somebody gets healed. It's incredible. The presence of God is here. So it's not that. But to know in your heart, like, the grace that he's asking us to put ourselves to is not on weekly Sundays. And you might disagree, but that's, that's how we feel. And we want to follow him wherever he leads. So um, let's pray. You want to pray? All right. Father, we just... Submit it all to you. We lay it down before you once again, as we have done hundreds and hundreds of times. We just say this body is yours, and we give it all back to you. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your clarity. And we're excited. As we take this step of faith moving forward, we can't really see what's beyond that that step. But we thank you for the ability to take that step. And we just say we're expectant to see you come and do amazing things as a result of our obedience to follow what you're speaking for the church. God, pour out your blessing, pour out your favor, pour out your anointing, pour out your clarity. Let the house churches come alive and thrive like never before. Let the corporate services be more powerful and dynamic and filled with your presence than they ever have before. Just let your glory flow in a fresh way in this new wine, this new wine skin. That's what we're wanting, God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we bless you guys. Have an amazing, fruitful week.